Welcome to the Lodge Real Estate Home Truths Podcast. Join us as we speak the truth about home ownership, the housing market, and the place we call home, Hamilton. Come on in and make yourself comfortable. Thanks for tuning into Home Truths. I'm your host today, Donna Southwick, residential and lifestyle real estate consultant at Lodge Real Estate. With the changes in season, we often see many homeowners looking to list their properties on the real estate market. And while we don't want it to seem daunting, there are a few boxes to tick and be sorted before you sign on the dotted line with a lodge sales consultant such as myself to market your home. With me today, I have Sue Hall, and we are joined by legal expert Carolyn Brown of CT Legal. We will be talking through some potential property legal pitfalls that we consider important to be tidied up before your house is put up for sale. Plus, we'll uncover some home truths along the way that you might not have heard elsewhere. On behalf of Sue and I, welcome Carolyn. Thanks for coming along today. Thank you for inviting me. So first off, we have our regular feature, Two Truths and a Lie. I'll get you to share three statements, Carolyn, and at the end of the podcast, we'll uncover which is fact and which is fiction. Okay, well, my first statement is, uh, when I sell my house, it is buyer beware for the house and the chattels in it. That's my first one. Okay, and then my second, even though I have council sign-off for my new house, I may still be in breach of the building covenants for the property. Good. It's a tricky one. Okay, and lastly, I have have, uh, been... um, very enthusiastic and added an extra room onto my house. I can't get a building consent after the fact. Awesome. There are a couple of tricky ones in there and we'll share the answers at the end of the podcast. Now, many vendors might not even think to engage their lawyer until they have a sale and purchase agreement with a buyer on the table. What we're going to talk about today is all about being prepared. So Carolyn, what common issues do you deal with prior to vendors listing their homes for sale? Okay, well, first issue that um, we like to get sorted from the outset is is the settlement date. So we commonly have a, a vendor is looking at buying, and so they'll be using the funds for the sale from their purchase. And so it's pretty critical that we ensure that we have the dates lined up. We don't want a situation that they are buying and then settling um, their purchase one week before. Indeed. Which does happen <laughs> sometimes. Your bridging finance. Yeah, yeah, particularly when it's unplanned. And not allowed for. And also we get the situation too when obviously someone is is looking at selling, they're looking for somewhere to purchase, it's ensuring that we're working in obviously with their agent as well to ensure that there's sufficient time to actually find somewhere to move to. Mm. Particularly when you get situations where a bank won't necessarily consent to them selling unless they line up the dates, then it's pretty critical that we've got enough time for them to find somewhere so they don't lose that option. And the other situation we get is, is also ensuring if it's tenanted property that we're allowing enough time for them to give the necessary notice and also just being aware of, you know, is it periodic, is it on a fixed-term tenancy and making sure that everyone is on the same page and the dates are lined up for that. And taking in that delivery date too, eh? Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah, and also too is just making sure that we don't have it, that we've got a tenant moving out on the settlement date. You need to have a few days there just in case there's any problems. So then the other issue that we strike very regularly, particularly in Hamilton, which has a lot of cross-lease properties, is that ensuring that 
for a client who's looking at selling where they do have structures which have been built on their portion of the land, so effectively their exclusive use areas, that they have actually obtained the neighbour's consent for that. Yeah, with the cross leases, that's a biggie, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's what we find is that a lot of clients don't have a good understanding on what is a cross lease and how that all works. So you might have a situation, I know, so you've had some where there's been multiple different owners. Absolutely. Down a driveway, cross lease, 13 owners, and four or five of them have had their footprint changed on their property, but not on the title or the flats plan. Yeah. So it's, you know, a situation you've got the underlying land, there might be two, three, four or more different people. If it's a garage, for example, it's not attached to the house, then those different owners have to sign off on it. And of course, that's not something we want to be finding out partway through the process, because if you've got tenanted properties, you've got to track them down. If you've got someone overseas, then you're never going to get their signature in time. And the main issue, obviously, as Sue's alluded to, is that when you've got that extension to the house itself, the underlying flats plan needs to be amended, and that's a you know costly and lengthy process. And if if you find out partway through the the process of actually selling, you just don't have time to get that fixed. Mm. And the big thing, Carolyn, is people think that because I've got council consent, yeah, that uh, the title's fine and it's not. Yeah, yeah, we strike that all the time. Yeah. So they'll say, well, we've got building consent for our extension. We've, we've got CCC. It's not an issue. But you try telling that to the bank, it won't provide finance to the new purchaser. People don't realise that that's a defective title. And then it's looking at actually how do we sort that. So it's that type of issue which the sooner we can find out that there's a problem, the sooner we can work out what are the different ways of actually getting that sorted for them. Mm. You can really see how it can impact on the sale Yeah, and it going through. If the bank won't won't approve the property, then you're really limited as to what purchasers can even look at it. So if it's identified nice and early, then you've got that opportunity for the vendor to sort it out so that they've got to maximise their potential number of purchases. Mm. The other issue we, we find is obviously around council consents. So obviously you do get the confusion obviously with, with cross leases, but you also get the issue where people have done alterations to the property. Yeah. And sometimes they don't know there's been alterations if they've bought a house and it's changed ownership a few times. Sometimes you only find out from looking at a drawings at, at the council and seeing, well, actually, that bathroom wasn't there last, you know, originally when it was built. I think tiled bathrooms are a biggie as well. Yeah, yeah, that's another issue. We, we've struck that a little bit with there's a misconception that if, with a tiled bathroom that where you replace a shower with a tiled shower that it doesn't need building consent. I had that recently with a client and, mm. you know, the building company didn't know. So they're suddenly in a situation they're having to sort that out afterwards and you imagine you're partway through the the sale of your property you just don't have time to get that sorted and if I've heard you correctly it can go through a you know a number of owners before it's actually picked up by an astute lawyer I guess or a client going down to the council or you know we've had situations where they've gone down to the council to do something else and and the the planner there has pointed out oh by the way did you know that this is different so the fact that you've bought from someone and it's been there for a long period of time doesn't mean that it's actually okay. Doesn't fix the problem, does it? No, it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't mean that it's actually been looked at. So, and also too is obviously there's a couple of different options. If you have a situation, say a client's got um, building consent for something, but they've never followed through and getting the inspections. I mean, we see that quite a bit. Often. Often it's things like garages not actually signed off or, you know, occasionally we find it's the house. We never want to say it's the house, but, you know, that does happen as well. But, you know, the sooner we pick up on those issues, then at least we can work out a plan for the client. Absolutely. So we've had some really good pitfalls highlighted in that discussion. How can they be avoided? 
Uh, firstly, obviously, it's always good if the clients understand when they actually need to look at getting consents, for example, and if they haven't done that, what the process is to get that fixed. Because there is a, there is a fix um, if the work's mm-hmm. been been undertaken sort of post-1992 onwards, then they can apply for a certificate of acceptance from the council, which is effectively like a retrospective building consent. But again, that's a process that takes some time. So, you know, if you find that suddenly you've got your auction, you know, your auction coming up in two weeks and suddenly we discover that the extension is mm-hmm. is not consented, let alone an inspection, there's just no possibility of getting that sorted in time. So with time, most things can be fixed, can't yeah, they? Yeah. Well, the thing is with time, you can look at all options. If you are working on a short time frame, say you're partway through an auction campaign or you have signed a contract to sell your property, it's conditional, might be 15 working days or 10 working days, you really have very few options because you can only look at a solution that can be dealt with before settlement. And also, too, is that suddenly you've got that reluctance. You know, you imagine if you're a, you're a purchaser, you want certainty, and mm. their bank wants certainty as well. So the best thing that our vendors can do is actually give that certainty by getting it sorted out first and having a plan for that. Great advice. Mm. So in terms of being prepared, can you share a bit more about the warrant of fitness or for sale warrant of fitness you help vendors with? Okay, so, you know, what we've recognised over time is that clients won't know what things they need to watch out for. So there are some issues that we strike, you know, on a regular basis. There might be things such as issues with chattels that generally comes up, you know, two or three days before settlement, issues with your building issues, building work not being signed off. Um, Those are things that if we address it nice and early, we can all work out a game plan for the client. So so what we want to do is look at the picture, make sure that that we as lawyers have a good understanding of the client's property, what they have there, what they have done, and also that their agent has that understanding as well. And we are on the same page because we kind of have a situation that the agent has different information about the property to what we have. We've got to be all all working as a team to, you know, achieve the best result for the client. So the idea with the warrant of fitness is that nice and early we can go through, we can work out has the client obtained all the necessary consents? Is there anything there that we need to ensure they, they get a COA underway? Or have the land covenants on the property been complied with? Is there anything we need to do or be aware of that can make that property more saleable? Do the clients have an understanding of what their obligations are under the contract, you know, through the process. So is everything serviced? Can they give information about whether the property's been repiled, you know, whether they've rewired, things like that, that um, you would have found obviously creates issues. You you tend to get the questions. Absolutely. Like, and I think just it's before, just addressing yeah. those, like those pre-maintenance issues, you know, the yeah. existing main, maintenance issues that might come up where, you know, a balustrade's not compliant because it's loose. And yeah. there's lots of, there's multiple things that as a team we can work through and discuss and ensure that it's covered off. So it's not even in the builder's report. It might be just a simple thing as ensuring that the hot water cylinder is in place properly and, and, uh, is yeah, because yeah, yeah. what you have is, I mean, I know from what we see with for clients is that we will see a building report and it might have 40 or 
or 50 items on there when you start looking at the minor things that we see, we know we see on everyone. We we know we always have these screws on the roof. Screws on the roof. Screws on the roof is always on there. Yeah, Yeah. need to be re-screwed. Gutters not cleared out, you know, that that always comes up. Now things that don't need to be in a builder's report if we address it early on, you know, they're quite simple things that as a homeowner and especially investment, you haven't addressed at the time and once we highlight it to people, that removes it from a builder's report. Yeah, and so from a perception point of view, what I find with, with our clients is that if they see something and there's a big long list, even if those are minor items, it they can, look at the list. It, it can be a real deterrent, can't it? Yeah. So if we can actually get the clients to address those things that we know come up, and that's something that's obviously incorporated within that that warrant of fitness is, is checking these things, then it does help that process, you know, the whole sale process go smoother. And you don't have a situation where you've got a purchaser balking at what they consider to be a big list of items when, when you look at it, on the face of it, it seems drastic, but... It's just maintenance items that just Absolutely. involve a bit of time. Absolutely. And there's obviously questions that we see come up, that you see come up about things like, you know, for ensuring that they can get insurance for the property. And if we have that information to hand, we get it nice and early, then the clients can do their homework. Mm. So we're on a fitness on a car has quite yep. a comprehensive checklist. And it yep. sounds like there's been a fairly comprehensive uh, full sale we're on a fitness that you've created over time, so and it covers. Yeah, pretty much we start with the surrounds, the exterior, right through to getting the client to go through and check that all their light fittings and things work. That's something that comes up with your pre-purchase inspections and they might think nothing of it, but then at least it gives them the option to say, right, this light's never worked. We'll have that excluded in the contract or we'll actually get someone through and actually get all these things fixed. Yeah, so little little example yeah. that can have quite big impact yeah. At time of going unconditional or settling. Yeah. And what, what we often find too is that the, when we've got clients who are, particularly if they've signed up to buy a house, that they've packed everything up, they can't find warranties. Mm. They, they, you know, they don't have that information to hand, plus also they don't have the time to give us that information that we need to ensure that the process goes smoothly. And they've effectively moved in their head. So to have yeah. something like curveball pop up at the last minute is uh, very traumatic for most yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, they do say that obviously buying a house is one of the most stressful things, but the thing is it doesn't need to be. Mm. If we can do our part by ensuring that between us we we cover the basis of what might come up, we get those answers, we get the clients to fix those items that they can fix, we work out a game plan for the things that are more significant and obviously, if there are items that can't be, you know, the odd thing that can't be rectified, at least we get a plan for that. Absolutely. Mm. And we identify it and everyone knows what they're dealing with. Yeah. And it becomes an exciting journey versus a stressful yeah. one. Yeah, because it's all it's all about time. So in the same with our clients who are, you know, if it's a rental property that they're selling, is that they don't have the time when suddenly a week before, you know, or two days before the condition is due, we're asking them all these questions that, they won't necessarily have that information to hand. If we can sort of avoid that at the outset, it you know just means that you've got the information there and we can we can give Absolutely. it and avoid that stress. Because primarily, most landlords haven't been through their property for years, so they're yeah. really basing the condition on the advice that we give them and the advice that the property manager's given them. And often the property manager has missed some things. So yeah. you know they may not have you know talked about bracing the hot water cylinder and things like that, which is very very common. Yeah. Also, too, is from our perspective as as lawyers, is that we don't see the property. 
So you're going there, you're seeing that you know what the client is selling. So if we go through this process, it gives us a much better understanding of what the client has there and so what questions we should actually be asking. Mm, great. Are you seeing any other key legal missteps in the home buying and selling process? Yeah, so really the main thing is just ensuring that that your lawyer understands your property and understands what you have there so that we know, have you done alterations, then we can go through and identify you know, what we need to do to make sure that's compliant, that we know what you've got in the house, is there anything we need to have excluded? Giving us that good understanding, what we find is that often we are end of the chain so, you know, we, mm. we're not involved early stages. And so there might be suggestions that we can make that we don't make because obviously we come in too late to do that. So involve us early is what I would suggest. Mm. Give us the understanding of, of what you have there. I mean, we can go online and we can look at pictures, but that only goes so far. So if we understand what the client is trying, you know, has in place, then we can make sure we give better advice. Absolutely. Now, I know from my end, there are a few other key factors vendors should consider when preparing their property for sale. Yeah. You've touched on, obviously, chipping off the, the maintenance items. It's something that they can work their way through. Those um, little things like the the oven fan that hasn't gone for years and, yeah. you know, a, a broken kitchen handle and those little things that, you know, we, we tend to live with but need fixing at yeah. time of coming to market. Yeah, and I've got plenty of those at my house. So I'm sure <laughs> everyone else does when they go to sell. But, you know, obviously the buyer see it differently. So they expect those things to be sorted. And you can get a little complacent as a vendor, I think. You know, I, I know that you get used to that's what it looks like. That's how it is. So obviously that's something that we can add by pointing out what their obligations are. And you can add by actually, you know, physically seeing the property and, and, and identifying those things. Yeah. And then we can address them. Is it something that needs to be serviced? Is it something that we need to, you know, see whether we can source those parts, you know, get the client to source those parts for? Or is it something that the lawyer is going to need to ensure is there's a disclaimer in there to cover the client? Which so, is super important. Yeah. Now, one thing that seems to come up often is asbestos. Yeah. yeah. What would your advice be on regarding asbestos? Well, I, I've obviously had a number of clients where if there's even a hint that that could be asbestos, then obviously they will look elsewhere. So you imagine if you're in the position of, we know it's for the first-time buyers that they have limited resources. They want to put everything they can into their new home. So if they are looking at a property and they they have to factor in, do we get the builder's report? Do we organise the limb? Do we get the lawyer underway? But we're not sure if there's asbestos in that ceiling, which will possibly make it a, a deal breaker. They'll just look elsewhere. Mm. So that's when your warrant of fitness comes in, doesn't it? Yeah. Advise uh, yeah. the vendor first, three days, get the yeah. test done. Yeah, and that's something that we have on the list is if it's something that's textured ceiling, you know, ask them, do they want to go get that done? So at least... That's some certainty for anyone who's looking at the property. Because often it's not. It just looks yeah. like it may be. Yeah, it is, yeah. And so then, you know, you might have people who just won't look at the property or discount it unnecessarily because they, they're thinking that's some additional cost that they don't want to incur. And we are in a market where there is a lot of choice for yeah. buyers. So. Yeah. So Very easy for them to move on. Yeah, so I think in this market, I'm not sure what your thoughts are, but we really want things to be as clean as possible, mm. don't we? Oh, eliminate mm. those those things that they are a fair factor for people. And the example of asbestos, get it tested and it's not, you know, and somebody like Donna yeah. said may not have viewed that property because they thought it may be. Yeah, yeah. And also just the things, you know, if you're saying if you, you've chipped off those maintenance issues, 
if there is something more substantial, then get the pricing on it. You know, identify is this something, for example, if there's roof issues and we know that, then then I guess it's having that pricing to hand so the purchaser can make a choice, you know, do they need a price reduction to reflect that or does the work need to be done? Because otherwise the bank may not consider the property to be acceptable security. So there's those things they've got to factor in as well. It depends a little bit. I guess you get certain properties which might be more first-home buyer market than others, and so that might change, I guess, their approach as mm. to how they look at dealing with it. So in summarising, Carolyn, um, what's your top vendor takeaways for today? Okay, so top of the list for us would be don't wait to the end of the process to involve your lawyer. Mm. You know, Involve us nice and early so that we can safeguard you as best as possible so that if there's things that we want to draw to your attention that we need to be checked, then you've got the time to actually look at what solutions are available should that come up. And also too, just checking, you know, we can go through as far as the warranties, make sure you understand what your obligations are. If we're at the end of the chain, you know, you possibly you've already signed a contract or you're at the point end of a marketing campaign with an auction and it gets a little bit late at the piece to be turning around and putting special conditions in the auction terms. Mm. You know, we don't want anything that's going to make it make your property less appealing for the buyers out there. Mm. And hard to get lending. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, with a lot of these things such as, I mean, the key ones obviously building consents is that if you've had, you know, building work done under building consent, you haven't had that sign off and it comes up as an issue right before an auction or when you've got a conditional contract, you really don't have time to get that sorted. Mm. So you can put in a condition saying, right, we'll have that done by settlement. But the problem with that is that banks won't necessarily accept that. They want certainty. Buyers want certainty. And also what happens if, if for any reason uh, the council says, well, no, we're not happy with that standard. Then you've got something that you can't necessarily resolve. If we address that nice and early, then we can go, right, these are your options and work out what's going to be best for the client. And also, too, is that no one wants these curveballs when they're looking at a property because they'll just go and find something that doesn't have those issues. Yeah, easy in this market, as yeah. you said. Just make sure that you're talking to us. We can check these things. We can say, right, this is this is what we think the best options are. Cool. So back to our regular feature, which we shared earlier, two truths and a lie. Carolyn, refresh our minds on your truths and a lie. Right. Okay. So first statement. When I sell my house, so this may have um, already been answered for you th- during our conversation, uh, but when I sell my house, it is buyer beware for the house and all the chattels in it. That is the lie. So you have warranties in the contract that a lot of people don't realise that you give certain assurances to that buyer of the property that your chattels, regardless of their age, will be in reasonable working order at the time that they take that over that property. Things such as dishwasher's got to be working, you know, the stove's got to be working, your Heating and cooling systems, your lights. Mm, light bulbs. Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> just just all those things that, you know, the cost adds up. So that may be something that they become aware of before settlement, and this is when we have these pre-settlement issues. How many pre-settlement issues would we get? It's, it's a reasonably regular occurrence, Very isn't regular. it? Very regular. But the thing is, if we, if we nail down some of these issues before people even go to market, that would actually remove that from the equation because we can identify what doesn't work to start off with. And then the the vendor can make a call, are we going to fix it so that avoids that issue? Or are we going to just say, look, you take that as is? 
So you've identified that lie. What about your truth? Okay, so truth. So first truth we uh, have is even if I have council sign off on my new, new house, it may be in breach of the building um, covenants. So a lot of properties have registered covenants on, on the title for the property. Now, it's a really common misconception that we come across that people think that if the council has given sign-off and has given co-compliance for the property, that everything is all okay from the property perspective. It doesn't matter what's on the title. But the covenants are there. They're there to protect everyone else in that subdivision. Now, that subdivision might be 10 houses or it might be 40, some of them even more. <laughs> and they effectively, the land covenant set a set of rules that the owner of the property had to comply with. And they might be th- might be things such as minimum size, that's something that we've struck recently, you know, coming up we've got houses that are built which are which are too small. And they've had sign off, but we've got to work out right how do we get around and fix that. So mm, complex. Yeah. So so from a vendor perspective, it's knowing what are the rules that you've agreed to abide by by taking on ownership of that property. Have that understanding of that. If you're not sure, get your lawyer to clarify it. You know, there's some things that land covenants is dealing with pets, for example. No more than one cat, one dog. We've seen those ones. If you've got two dogs, you're out of luck. I'd be out of luck on that one, <laughs> particularly with my, my dogs. So just being aware that that's a separate obligation that you've got and mm. just, you know, you should know that it's there. And the last one is if I've added an extra room into my house, I can't get building consent after the fact, and that's that's true. So you can't go and apply for building consent. There is another option. So if it's if it's work that's been done in sort of post-1992, then you can apply for a certificate of acceptance from the council, but then you've got to be comfortable that that work's got to be up to standard. And so there's no guarantees that you're going to get that. The more recent the work, the probably more likely that it is. It's going to come through, but um, you can't just go in and put the building consent in. Mm, well. It's all been very informative, Carolyn. So we'll wrap up there for today. Um, Thanks so much for coming in, for your wisdom that you've imparted and to our listeners that have tuned in. Keep your eyes and ears out for your next episode. Right. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Lodge Real Estate Home Truths podcast. Learn more about today's topic and our panel guests by visiting our website, lodge.co.nz.